murdered by his wife. A wife, now refusing to communicate, is sentenced to an asylum. A criminal psychotherapist seeking to uncover her truth to help her find peace. But are some truths like atom bombs that can destroy all in its wake? Hello, and welcome to the Book Club Juxtapositions podcast, a book club where we discuss two pieces of literature and juxtapose them based on theme, plot, author style, societal norms, and basically just how the book grabs you. All of the interesting things that make for a great spoiler-filled book club discussion. Did you say spoiler-filled? Yes, I said spoiler-filled. In each episode, we will mainly focus on one of the literary pieces. With all good literature, one can't help but make comparisons and connections to other literary works and in life. In the second episode, we will examine the same ideas with the counterpiece of literature. This is just a fun way to compare and contrast two pieces of literature and have a lively discussion. This is an adult podcast intended for adult listeners, and we may use adult language. Adult language? What the hell? juxtapose the theme of betrayal in the psychological thrillers The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelettis versus The Couple Next Door by Sherry LaPena. I'm Tracy May, author, multi-award winning screenwriter, and former educator. I'm Kimberly Andy, creator of the blog Lily Pads of Curiosity, travel writer, and former educator. So we will be spoiling the end and the twists and turns of the mystery, the two mystery thrillers, so just proceed with caution. Spoilers abound. Let's talk about this book. And The Silent Patient, this is a story of Alicia Berenson, an artist with a troubled past, who is arrested and sentenced to confinement in an asylum for the murder of her husband and the psychotherapist who is bound and determined to set her free from her self-imposed silent exile from life. Betrayal. The breaking of a bond, a trust, or confidence that can slice its victim with more viciousness than a razor blade. The deepest wound, the wound that lingers, waiting to spread its poison for years after, is the betrayal of a loved one whose emotional gutting must truly cut the deepest. The Silent Patient is a character-driven novel, as evident, for example, in the author's technique of writing and alternating character perspectives. A good thriller wraps its twists in the characters we have learned to love or hate. But it's all there, hiding in plain sight in a second reading. So my first question for you is, like, did you see the twist coming at the end? Yeah, let's just um, review this real quick because this whole, this whole book really does go layer on top of layer, revealing what's going to happen and using this more as, instead of a psychological thriller, it goes more like a, a character study like this. Think of... Agatha Christie and her plot style. Think of... And that's interesting you say that because I was just listening. Uh, Audible had uh, the interview with the author afterward. Oh, yeah? And he said that one of his favorite authors that he just kind of consumed was Agatha Christie. So it, that's an interesting that that's what you uh, heard. Picked up? When, did yeah, he, he picked did, up on that. Did he say anything about Hitchcock and the kind of suspense that, is, um, like, that Hitchcock is known for? I did not finish the rereading of that part, so I need to cut that question out. So, so I look at it like uh, Agatha Christie and her plotting style with a Hitchcock kind of suspense layer in there, and then add in that Greek tragedy. I think that it just has layer upon layer of a character study, so I think it's really cool to see this. So just thinking about, you know, reminding myself what this book was about, I sat back and I thought about it, it's like, yeah, it's a, 
an unspeakable murder. And then you have the woman suspect that's held captive in her own mind as well as in the asylum. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm thinking about how then this therapist is determined to be the one to break through. So it's interesting how the author took not only the details of trying to, you know, solve the whodunit with the main character, but we're also learning a lot about this therapist and about the other characters involved in the book because that's the only way that he can try to open up her mind is then through people that she knows. Can you imagine, first of all, if um, you did something and you were silent and they had to, like, you know, depend on your friends to tell them what you were thinking? And just kind of puzzle that all together? Yeah, piece that all together. So that's really interesting how this author did that with making it just so smoothly go. You know, like we said earlier, that it's um, all right there in front of you, but then it doesn't reveal itself until the end. So she doesn't speak, um, and we are led on this whole exploration of not only her psyche, but then also that of the therapist um, that's so determined to be the one to treat her. So since he cannot get her to speak, he resorts to this understanding of the psychology of the characters in her life, which is really interesting. And I thought that, you know, I try to find symbolism in all kinds of, you know, anything that I read. And I think that with Alicia, she's a painter. She's, she's rich. She's well-to-do. She's living the great life. But, you know, thinking about painting and how much it takes to be very meticulous and patient and how methodical it is, it's... Um, I think that that's very symbolic of her and the outcome of the story. So I think that's really um, something that I thought was perfect. He could have put her in any career that he wanted. He could have had her be anybody, but he made her be a painter. And that was that was really cool. She, I think that she's like a, an art piece in herself, her character. And I think of her as like a blank canvas that when the art like slowly emerges on this blank canvas that's the way this book is written it's slowly developing this painting scene and a little bit at a time one layer at a time and that to determine where she is in this or how she fits into this or you know her guilt or innocence or the reason why she's being silent or why she's not it's just like looking at a piece of art and it's all kind of held in the eye of the beholder so I think that you know I found the symbolism in that maybe Yeah, that or even the reader based on what, you know, what he's able to get out of her friends and family and things like that. So mm -hmm. I just think it's... Yeah. I thought, and, and the way that he was able to, the author was able to kind of show all these red herrings, where they, a lot of them had credible motives. Yeah. A lot of them could, you know, there were times where I thought, well, geez, I mean, it could be any of them. Right. And so it would be credible. So that, that's, that's great writing. I think so, too. I think when you asked me, did I see that twist coming at the end? No, I, I didn't. And I should have. And then afterwards, it was like, how did I not? It was all right. <laughs> right. And you I know? do think, because Theo, I didn't see it coming at the end because Theo is a good character. Like, we feel sorry for him. His motives seem altruistic. I think this all comes down to motives because I think his motives appeared altruistic, so we, we immediately trusted him. So what did you see as his motive? Well, that's a good point, because it, it was unclear for me, but the actual motive, but for most of the book, I thought, because of his former, because of his past, yeah. and his own kind of, you know, complicated um, past, that 
he therefore saw a kinship in her and wanted to help somebody else because he had been treated so badly that he wanted to help somebody else Maybe that was to, also treated poorly. Like the ends but, justify the means kind of thing? Right. So I think in the reality of the situation, what his real motives were, were still like, I, I think, he, and I, I remember just rereading this recently, that it was like he kind of wanted to show what really happened, but is that really his motive? Did he want to show what happened, or did he want to show his side of what happened? Do we really That's know? That's a good point, yeah. I think so that a lot of it, you know, his motive, I think a lot of it was ego. What do you mean by that? Just, uh, you know, him wanting to have a place in the world is, you know, like, you know, you said he'd been hurt before and the things that he had gone through, so his ego as far as rectifying any of that. That was the one thing, and I, you know, and, and I think maybe, too, because of the way the author played with time. Yeah. That was oh. kind of almost like another character in the story is how, how the author played with time. I think it was kind of ever-changing. His motive was kind of ever-changing to me. Do you think that uh, Theo and Alicia were portrayed by themselves? Yeah, I think Theo for sure, because Theo was able to tell himself, I mean, which is always something I find interesting. I'm sure I've talked about that before, is how the people, and therefore characters, are sometimes the biggest liars to themselves. Therefore, so, that, I think that's what yeah, I meant so, by his ego. Like, he's lying to himself, lying, all, you know what I mean, to boost his own ego in a way. Like, But why would, he, why would his ego be boosted by... Power. By that situation. By power or control. Power and control. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Power and control. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, and probably that um, you could almost go with the same thing when we start talking about the couple next door in our next episode, but I thought both stories had very similar structures. They did, because they were layers on layers. And the way that their um, spouses viewed the female protagonist, almost like they were kind of delicate flowers. Or like Theo, not wasn't her spouse, but, no, you but know, there were troubled protagonists with troubled histories, and they were almost portrayed as, as delicate. Well, they were kind of set up they, as set up as victims from the start. You know, they were set up as tarnished or tarnished from the very start. So yeah, you're right. So they were very very similar that way with the layers involved too. And I think too, like the the, the fact that they had to hide what they were truly feeling from their spouses. So whatever issues the main character has in The Couple Next Door, for example, she can't just be honest with her husband and say, you know, I'm really struggling. And Alicia can't really just be honest. She's got to hide some of her past trauma because, you know, really the, the delicate flower is the husband, correct? And oh, exactly. You can't, can't deal with it. So I'm just thinking, note to self, if you cannot trust your spouse, we have two novels right here that are showing you <laughs> that shit's going to go bad. So <laughs> Trust your instinct. Trust your instinct. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what, are, what are some of the lies that you think that Theo hold, you know, what, what some of the lies that he tells himself? What are some of the well, things that he kind of builds up in his lair? What do you... I think when, you know, he meets Kathy, he's, like, totally in love with her, and they both have cheated on their other, their partners, their current partners when they meet. They both cheated on those current partners. And then, obviously, his culpability in Gabriel's death. So, you know, even though it was Alicia that killed him, clearly that would not have been the situation <laughs> without him setting the, the match on fire. So, and their choices in life, you know, that, you know, Theo knows the truth, but kind of is always, you know... Always uh, explaining it away. Does Alicia ever even make a choice? Well, 
she does choose to shoot him in the end. I mean, <laughs> she did kill him. <laughs> Let me pull that trigger. Even though you could argue that she was, at that point, pushed to, pushed to the extremes. But she did make the choice to kill Gabriel. That's a good point. So how do you think Theo sees himself versus how do we as the reader see him in the end? I think because, you know, and again, just doing the, the reread there, like he's relieved when the cops show up at the end. I mean, just going back to Telltale Heart. I was just going to say, let's go back to Telltale Heart because he <laughs> was minds, like basically, yeah, he was basically like, please, please catch me. Put me out of my misery. Right. Yeah. So we almost see him, you know, sitting on top of the, the beating heart because he's just relieved and and let it let it all be done. So just like in the Telltale Heart, think about Theo. Is what we see in him for the first ninety percent of the book how he sees himself? Yeah, I think he sees himself as innocent, and then finally, when it's all just unraveling at that point, he's. I mean, I, I think he's just grateful. He's probably tired to keep up <laughs> that kind of a ruse and that intricate planning and murder. That's a, like, oh, that's, a, rest now. that's a lot of stuff to handle in a day. <laughs> Who do, you, who do you think is worse, Kathy or Gabriel? Um, Kathy was super icky. She was a narcissist. Do you think that the author had to put her in there to balance out and, or make Alicia look better? Because, you know, she's or just... Or make Theo look better. Right, yeah, both of them. Like, right. Kind of have I to... I guess I'm less tolerant of women... Right. Ickiness, that kind of ickiness from a woman, and maybe that's... You have, higher, you have higher expectations for that? I have higher expectations of women. But when you think women. about painting on the painting wheel and writing like that, I kind of look at Kathy being the red to the blue on the color wheel. You know what I mean? Like, Alicia's the blue and, and Kathy's the red. You know, to and What do you mean by that? Explain that. On the opposite sides of the color wheel. So when you have something, when you're painting, in order to contrast it, you use, on the color wheel, you use a color from the opposite side, and that helps bring it out. That's why, like... If you see, um, if you paint blue flowers, you'll put something orange in the middle or red in the middle to help pop that contrast. And so you see that difference. You'll see that a lot. So um, look around at all the paintings in your house. You'll see that difference in color contrast. Like picture the opposite of the color wheel. You have something in there to pull balance. So I'm kind of picturing that maybe because she's a painter in the artwork and how he incorporated all that in there. I think in my mind as a character, study with this Kathy's the opposite of the color wheel yeah I like that I like that a lot the contradiction of it all yeah so okay so then whose punishment is worse Kathy's or Gabriel's Gabriel's but I I don't know maybe it's that same thing too what do you think I'm maybe I'm thinking that you know Kathy deserved worse I don't know maybe because I had these higher expectations but what do you think it's interesting you know are there is there things or you know are there situations worse than death Kathy has to live her whole life right. knowing all of this and, and living all of that but she didn't seem to me like the kind of person that would uh, lament for too long <laughs> she seemed like maybe a little more concerned with herself than anything else so in that sense I guess Gabriel's was worse because that was pretty definite I, and over I guess but is it worse to be put out of your misery I guess or is it worse to have to live with it I don't know maybe maybe hers was worse I, I don't know that's something to be uh, chatted about and look at in another angle. You've talked a lot in this about the symbolism of the painting, mm-hmm. but I also liked the symbolism with the mythology. Yeah, and so you've, you've done a lot of studying with the mythology and stuff, right? Like, does this pop up in what you know with mythology? I wasn't that familiar, truthfully, with that particular storyline, but I'll, I'll just read a quick blurb here. It says, both the Greek tragedy story, Alcides, and Alicia's painting of the same name represent why Alicia remained silent. 
This is just a small hint that is given in multiple points throughout the story as it tells the story of a woman who refused to speak. So she was um, Alcissus, and I do apologize for mispronouncing that, is an Athenian tragedy by the ancient Greek playwright Euripides. Alcissus is an Athenian tragedy by the ancient Greek playwright Euripides. She was a mythical queen of Thessaly, wife of a king, who came to personify the devoted, selfless woman and wife in ancient Greece. So, do you feel like Alicia is that devoted wife, devoted to Gabriel to the point of killing him? Yeah, because I mean that description, I think it goes on to that she's best known for her devotion to her husband and taking his place in death and her return to life through the intervention of the hero. So, huh. I really like how he added that as another layer to be able to explain because that just gave you something else to walk away and go, well, I learned something there. <laughs> You right, know? and I think we just kind of inherently understand these kind of yeah. iconic characters. Right. You know, going back to all the archetypes, we, we understand that, that selfless woman. Um, it connects, you know, that psychologically it connects with us. Right, right, and it's something that I guess is relatable, so it can apply to all, any reader that listens, you know, or you know, reads this, so that's pretty cool. Now, did you find that the two perspectives that we got, the two different points of view, helped fuel the story? Was I... I'm one that likes that. I like I like it because I don't get ever I never get bored in a story when I'm bouncing back and forth between two different perspectives. I like that. And I think maybe too that when I write, I think about how I don't want to get bored with the writing either. I want to bounce back and forth because I feel like there's something that you can explain from one point of view that you can't from the other. So I really like that. And I think that it also added a whole other layer to keep building on instead of something that was, instead of having something that was like unknown, that you was just like assumed. What did you think? Do you like those? Yeah, I 100% those? agree with you. And definitely when I'm writing too, it's going to, it's going to keep me in it. <laughs> yeah. Because um, so, you can bounce yeah, back I, and forth I, I with that. I really like that. And, you know, versus just kind of that third-person perspective, I you know, getting that insight, I think it's super helpful as well. Yeah. So what would, if going back to the whole lying to themselves thing, if Gabriel or Kathy, what, how do you think that they would explain away their behavior? How would they lie to themselves? I mean, clearly they were having an affair. Well, I They're, think... I think lying to themselves is that they deserve it, they justify it, they're more, it's what's right, and they're just, they're, what they're doing, reveal all of that and hurt somebody else, so they feel like by keeping it all a big secret is what's right. Something like that, you know, I think that that's kind of the perspective that that falls on, and I think that that's pretty consistent with, you know, any affairs that they keep it as a secret and an affair instead of just being honest. What do you think? What what lie would they say to themselves? Right, they might blame their spouses. Oh, yeah. You know, if they found their spouses to be emotionally distant for whatever reason. There's always a reason. Might... Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then again, yes. go back to my original, like, understanding of what you should learn from these books. And that is if you're not honest with your spouse. Right. It's just going to go bad because they're going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a given. It's a given. They're, they're, they're psycho. They're psychotic and, and something bad's going on. That is really funny. So do you think that the inference that Alicia is in a coma for the rest of her life? or Yeah, I think so. I think we get that little tiny glimpse at the end, sad and tragic. I mean, if they were to come up with a sequel, I don't know where they would go with that. 
What but, if they came um, up with the movie? I think they are casting this as a movie, actually, and I haven't you know seen. Who I think would be really good as Theo is John Krasinski, oh. because we all fell in love with John Krasinski, you know, as in the Office, Jim. You know, like you just loved, love, love Jim. What a kind guy he is. And then you, then you get the flip side of that. <laughs> You know, and you see him as a total badass, and you know you can kind of see that duality. Oh yeah, playing out in a Theo-like character. Who do you think would play Alicia? You know, I'm blanking on that. Nobody's like popping into my mind right now, but of who would be? I think uh, Julianne Moore. Yeah, Julianne Moore. I mean, but how old is Alicia supposed to be? I don't know. <laughs> Let's not do that to her. She's she's fantastic, amazing, and beautiful to me. It doesn't matter. She can. I think she'd be able to pull that off. Amazing. I would love to see that. Yeah. No. I I think she's so multi talented and layered in everything she does. I think she would be great. Uh, okay. So both the silent patient and the couple next door's female protagonist snap after being pushed to the limits. Murder is never okay. But which women's actions are more justifiable? Alicia's or Anne's? And we could probably get into that more when we do The Couple Next Door. I, you know but, what? Uh, murder's never okay, but you murder's... Know, who, do you, who do you think had a, a bigger reason? Wow. I don't know. What do you think? Like, I, 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 th- I, I, mean... I felt more for Anne because I can't even imagine... That, that, and we'll talk more about that when we get to know how it goes through. It's horrific. When there's a kid involved, that puts me in a exactly. whole different realm. So I wanted to say that, but I understand the Alicia side. But, yeah, I'm going to go with you on that. I think Anne, because there's a kid involved there. Exactly. Well, we would love to know what you think. You can check us out on our social media Twitter account at Book Club Juxtas or our Facebook account, Book Club Juxtapositions. Uh, we'd love for you to rate or, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and we really appreciate your time. And, and again, we, you know, we're recording this during the, uh, obviously during the coronavirus. I forgot to put that in there about our sound quality. It's just become natural to me now. Isn't that crazy? After a few weeks of this, it just became natural that we just do this on FaceTime, and our sound quality is crazy. It's it's heartbreaking what's going on out there, and every changes every single minute of every single day. So to think of even what was going on um, a couple weeks ago when we recorded last, it's just mind blowing what this is doing. So stay inside, stay safe. Um, yeah, we're thinking about you. We'll get through this definitely, and check in with us. Let us know you're okay. What are you reading? Are you spending a lot of time reading and? Just having some downtime and finding things out about yourself that you didn't know before because it's a good time to do that. Our next episode, um, we are going to talk again about the, the couple next door. Um, real short read. So get in there, read that so that you're ready for that episode. You're not going to regret it. You're going to love it. It's going to be um, drop on June 1st. So imagine, one can't imagine something more terrifying than having your baby kidnapped. For Anna and Marco Conti, this horrifying event will uncover the ugly truths they have buried so deep that they have lied to themselves about them. So, again, going back to that same idea. And just a quick reminder that The Couple Next Door will be our season one finale. Next season, we'll be exploring all sorts of different things. But we really appreciate you listening to this and, and being with us through this whole season. And, all your and, and it su- has been a blast. All your support and interaction. Go ahead and tell us what books do you want us to, uh, to tackle in season two. We'll be talking about all kinds of different things. And thank you so much for spending your time with us. Ciao, Bellos. Ciao, Bellos.